to Attentive Talks, a production of Attentive Teaching. Welcome everyone to what will be the first of many conversations on critical race theory and the controversy surrounding it, uh, more commonly known as CRT. I'm Cindy Schwartz, one of the co-founders of Attentive Teaching, and we are here along with our other co-founders, Lori Bolan and Roxy Laurie, and board member Carol Vogt, as well as our social media expert and resident brilliant student, Jacob Klein. We will take a moment now and Karen to Bracco, just... who is one of our teacher mentors. Yes, and Karen Bracco, thanks, Lori. We are honored, we are very excited to have with us today a number of informed and very thoughtful thinkers and educators that'll help us shed light on critical race theory today. So, so we can dive right into this conversation. Uh, we'll ask each guest to simply identify who they are and what they do. And then we'll turn this over to Lori and we will dive into the conversation. So maybe we could start with Cordelia. Hi, good morning, everyone. My name is Cordelia Anthony. I am a science teacher at Farmingdale High School and I'm a local union leader there as well. Thank you, thank you. Greg? Morning, everyone. Greg Perlis, a history teacher at North Shore High School president of my local and um, thanks for the invitation. Looking forward to a good conversation where we can all tell the truth. Oh, absolutely. Nakia? Uh, Nakia Wolf, Amityville Union Free School District. Um, I do AIS intervention for math, fifth grade, and I am the local president of that uh, organization. Wonderful, thank you for being here. Perry? Thank you. Oh, <clears throat> good morning, everyone. Uh, my name is Perry Fuchs. I teach high school astronomy in uh, Plain Edge, and I am the president of the teachers union in that district as well. Thank you for having me this morning. Absolutely. Thank you for being here. Anna. Good morning, everyone. Uh, thank you for having me. My name is Anna Marsh. I am the founder of, the, uh, of Mindful Consulting and Coaching Services. I am a former principal, licensed social worker, and I do a lot of work around different trauma and different issues like that. Wonderful, thank you, Anna. Cindy. Good morning, everyone. My name is Dr. Cindy Bautista Tomas. I am a doctoral lecturer at the College of Staten Island in the Department of Social Work. I'm also co-founder of Velocity Visions Inc. who does consultancy work throughout the New York City Department of Education and other nonprofit organizations. Thank you for having uh -huh. me this morning. Wonderful to have you and Karen. My name is Karen Bracco. I'm a retired New York City uh, public school teacher, everything from K to five. And I was also the union representative in my building for a number of years as well. All right. Thank you, everyone, so much for being here. Lori, let's turn it over to you and let's dive in. Okay. I, I mean, I'm so excited about this panel of people that we have to talk here. Um, I really hope that we're all going to learn so much and that we're also going to be able to educate the people who are going to be listening to this podcast because, you know, in my talks with other people, they really don't understand what CRT is really all about. And I, I really want to clarify that. I really want to put it out there. We have these wonderful minds. So I'm just going to throw it out there to you guys. Would you please just help us clarify what critical race theory is all about? What is the hullabaloo here? What's going on? I need to know. They need to know. So please tell me, okay? Please tell us. Who would love to start? I'm, ha I'm happy to get started. 
say Thank simply you. that what, what it is and what it is, what it is is a graduate school uh, set of uh, precepts for graduate level study, but, what it, but that's not what it is. What it is is um, a, a dog whistle for some culture wars that are being leveled at public schools. And so I think an honest conversation about what CRT is really needs to be a conversation about who's lobbying this charge against the schools and what's the agenda of, of the people lobbying it. Absolutely, Greg, I concur. Um, it's definitely something that was and is taught um, about the intersection of race and law and how, you know, the legal system affected people of color significantly and, you know, differently. And of course, it's valid. It is something that needs and merits discussion. But uh, as Greg mentioned, in throwing it into the P-12 system, it doesn't really have a place. <laughs> and so there's a reason why it's being introduced as this uh, danger to, to school systems. And the fact is it's not something we do in P-12. And I think the I other- add, Oh, sorry. Oh, I'm sorry. <laughs> um, I think one of the things that, um, that we really kind of need to look at is the, the fear and um, behind it. And also looking at it from a standpoint of, is this theory, you know, something that is going to be used to um, have negative thoughts about, you know, about, about white people. And that is one of the fears that one of the prevailing fears where it is that we're going to educate kids, educate students um, to, you know, have a mindset shift in terms of how it is that they view what is you know, as we know in our society, the, the predominant race, when really all it is, is just about critically thinking about the social constructs um, in which racism has been built upon. So it's, it's about looking at practices, legal practices. It's about looking at how it is that people have been um, disproportionately impacted by the institutions that it is that we have in our society, not so much as saying that one group is responsible, solely responsible for all of the atrocities that took place. So I, I think that what people are, are looking at this as if from a standpoint of fear, where it really should be just about looking at our, looking at our system, looking at our society as a whole. Um, because you know, we look at racism and we say that we're all of different races, but there really is only one race. We're a bunch of ethnicities, one race. <laughs> so. Um, I, I think that's something that it is that we really need to kind of like delve into and and talk about that piece in addition to the part where it is that it is kind of like an attack on um, education and how parents can essentially, you know, be in a position where it is that they could, I don't know, at some point in time, probably eventually sue for what it is that their kids have been learning. But what about all of those people who have been marginalized and disenfranchised by the history that they've been taught since the founding of our of our nation. So uh, that's my take on that. And Nikia, can you talk more on that? Or maybe uh, Cindy could like elaborate more because I really think it's we, we, we need to like move past like the weaponization people have used like these like non-existent shame circles essentially. And we just, it's not, that is just not occurring. And so we need to just talk about what it tangibly is. I think I, you know, I, I've only done 
preliminary reading. I've been reading Derek Bell's uh, Faces at the Bottom of the Well, just to start. And um, I just really think that these aren't, I mean, they're controversial concepts, but they're important concepts I think anyone can learn. It just, uh, and it's not just about like raising minority voices, but putting everybody's voices in the context of each other. And so no nothing exists in, these vac in a vacuum like we normally take every single story or history. And so if, you know, Nakia can talk more about this or it, Cindy, if you want to talk more about, because uh, no, you're, you're definitely yeah, jump in. So I identify as a Black Latina, right? And so I, I come in with multiple intersectionality positionalities, right? And so when I talk about critical race theory, what the importance is that we, we are living in the United States and, and there's a history here. Uh, and the truth is that there has been so much misinformation in terms of the historical context of how the United States was constructed, where we are, and sort of the intergenerational trauma that has been impacted, you know, so many different communities. And so critical race theory looks at very specific tenets in terms of what the history of racism is in this country, you know, who are the folks involved, who has benefited from racism, who, you know, what does intersectionality have to do with that, right? Knowing that, you know, because of what we look like, there are certain experiences and also there is so much more to that, right? It's also thinking about, you know, when we learn these knowings, understanding that a lot of our children in, in I used to be a school social worker in an elementary school, and there was so much about the history of the black and brown children that were in those schools that were not taught to them. And there was so much about what that does to your body, mind and soul wellness and how you then move in the world and create academically. And also how do you then make meaning of who you are and your contribution to the world. And me being 45 years old right now, I've been able to benefit. And, and I know that I have privilege as a woman of color, but then they're also acknowledge privileges that folks that don't look like me, that white body persons have, that we all need to be in knowledge about because that's how we're gonna move forward in terms of healing. And, and thinking about how we're gonna heal as a nation is, is more about the, it's not about the cognitive, what are we learning in school? That's part of it, right? But um, what we've learned in our historical context as a nation is that when you start erasing people's history and erasing what happens, you know, that then becomes very problematic and it becomes violent because if I don't know anything about what's gone on, then I can move forward in ways where then I, I can't, I don't need to accept the responsibility of what's occurred, right? And that's not healing, right? And so I'm curious about uh, how voices are being amplified in the CRT conversation and, of course, it's being used in ways where uh, people are then eliminating genres of reading, eliminating texts that are amplifying experiences that are essential to who we are as human beings, right? And so we, we get to center the richness of what all the cultures, races, people, ethnicities have brought to the richness of this country, right? But when we start to then a shut down theoretical frameworks that center information 
then that becomes extremely problematic because then we're going back to what created a lot of catastrophic incidents to begin with. And that be, that's very scary to me as being a social work educator, as being a mother of two teenage Black Latinx children, right? And, and thinking about how do we move in the world and, and create healing so that we can learn from each other and, and learn from our historical uh, background and information. Greg, did you want to say something? You raised your hand. You know, my job is not to teach kids what to think. It's my job is to teach kids how to think. And the only way kids can learn how to think is to be put in the presence of as wide a range of sources and voices as possible. Nobody, nobody learns to think, no one learns to be a citizen by having books banned or ideas banned or emotions banned or histories banned. The call to narrow the curriculum runs contrary to the whole purpose of a public education. I think my job as a history teacher is to put as many texts in front of kids as possible so they can learn to navigate a rich, robust, diverse America. And those of us that are looking to multiply the voices and stories in classrooms are working in the direction and the purpose of public schooling. And those people who are looking to uh, narrow the curriculum and eliminate whole, uh, whole bodies of voices in the curriculum are running, are working contrary to what we're all here to do. Um, I, I, having taught, you know, a long time ago, I've been retired for a while, I think one of the problems is, I, I, I always used to tell my students that history is the story we choose to tell ourselves about ourselves, that we make choices, that you can't tell every single thing that happened in the past. So we select a story, we create a narrative. And I think for some people, that's a really hard thing to grasp. Um, I think a lot of people believe that history is the story. You know, it's just a set of facts. They don't they don't understand the greater the concept. So when you throw when you throw something at them, like you know, what guess what? There are all these other narratives that have been left out, and we're not really understanding the reality of our own past or who we are. They don't. It's like a block. It's it, they're they're true believers, sort of. You know, there's only one story. And so how do you get past that? How you, how, how you, you know, help someone understand that? It's scary, first of all. It's a lot easier to have just one story um, and to understand it. Uh, complicated things are, uh, scare people. They want something easy to understand. I think speaking off of what Greg said um, about teaching kids to think critically, you know, we, we all got, um, inundated with Common Core for years and years. And the whole idea behind the Common Core was that we wanted to, kids to think critically and to you know look at the central idea and look at themes. Well, it the reality is, and especially from you know the, the lower grades being a lower grade teacher, it doesn't take long for kids to realize when you talk about things like conquest or slave trade or Chinese building the railroads, that there's themes of power, there's themes of abuse, they see it, they already see it. And I think that there's a great amount of fear involved with, and, and it seems to be that it kind of is trickling into lower grades where teachers are kind of being threatened, where they can't mention anything about it. 
but kids are starting, they recognize this on their own, that there's, there's disparity. And, and, you know, when it comes to race, this is, this is the core of it, what it seems to be that somebody has power, someone doesn't, someone is abused, someone is the abuser, some, you know, somebody is conquered and somebody is, you know, marginalized. We've taught our kids to think critically. We tried to think our kids to, you know, we tried to teach our kids to think critically. And now the fact that we want to dial back on that is very, very frightening, yeah. very frightening. Well, I think what's important what we, to take we, into consideration though, Karen, with that is that like, it's not just about, especially with critical race theory, and it's not about just like, oh, there, this is the conqueror, this is the abuser, or whatever. It's, it, it is more complex than that. And I think that's what's like heartening almost about it. It's like, the more I learn about it, the more I'm like, I know this is all, and a good argument is that, yeah, no, it is only taught in legal, right? But like, our, like you're saying, our kids can understand these complex themes. And I think critical race theory is trying to take a nuanced conversation about these different aspects of power, as opposed to just like saying, this guy took over this guy and, you know, whatever. Like they're one of the, um, in this one textbook that I'm uh, reading, it's, it talks about how, a, a lot about how the power structure in America, they would use things like uh, um, Chinese internment or things like that to use, or not Chinese internment, um, Japanese internment, or uh, in the case I was trying to use uh, Chinese uh, workers, they would ban immigration for a short period of time, and they would use different minority groups as a cudgel against each other. And so the, it's not, it's so much deeper and more complex. And so, uh, I'm heartened by the fact that it is so nuanced. And if anyone else wants to pick up off how it is so intersectional. Well, I think I, I think right now um, <clears throat> we, we have the, the, the people who are pushing the controversy, right? It's, it's not a real controversy. It's a manufactured controversy. And, you know, it's funny because I, I like once in a while to listen to uh, Fox News um, just to see what they're saying. And it's, and, and it's funny because the people that they have on there talking about critical race here, it seems that they almost have no clue what it is. And they're just pushing this um, wedge device to divide communities and the ultimate goal, and I, and I think it was said here before, because I agree with 100%, the ultimate goal here is to destroy public education, to privatize public education, and uh, continue basically a class warfare on, on the middle class, where the oligarchs in this country are trying to hoard all the money. And this is just one tool that they're using yeah. uh, to, to accomplish their ultimate goal which is truly, like I said, the destruction of public education. And it's, and it's uh, sad that they've chosen this route. I mean, they've tried many other strategies before. And I've said this to my members. I said, this one's actually working a little bit because uh, of all the topics that have, have challenged us before as a union, um, this is the only one that I can recall uh, other than masks, of course. And this is CR, you know, the controversy. I'm not talking about CRT. I'm talking about the controversy surrounding it, right? It's just an extension of that. And it's, and like I said, it's, it's working. It's working because our schools are divided now more than ever. I mean, look at the board meetings that, that have occurred. And people are screaming and they have no idea what they're screaming about. They have no knowledge of what critical race theory is. They don't even know that they're, they don't even recognize that they're being used as pawns in a much larger game. And, uh, 
it's it's very disturbing. Um, I don't know if that was talking about nuances, but it was uh, just a thought that I've had while I'm sitting here and listening to all of this. I I, I think you're absolutely right, and um, I, you know, as a as a uh, retired elementary school teacher, um, um, somebody said before something about I think was it Nikki? Was it you about one race? Somebody said one yeah. one race that we wanted. Um, I spent my entire career with that in mind, you know, that, that children needed to learn that we were one, one race. I, I based my whole every year themes on teaching them that. And how did I do it? I did it with little guys through literature, you know, so to, that's the only way to do it with little children is through literature. I mean, you, can, you can't, you know, you're not high school teachers teaching um, history by by uh, you know what happened in facts and learning through a textbook. It was all through literature. To to take that away is just so incredibly scary to me. Um, but my concern also, and I mentioned this to my colleagues the other day, is that part of the reason. Of, uh, you know, because of what you just said, Perry, is that I think the teachers themselves are starting to become divided, yep. and uh, and and you have teachers that don't want to teach one race and never wanted to teach one race and only taught those books because they were part of the curriculum, and they're kind of happy that they're being taken out, and that just uh, it disturbs me, you know, to to no end. Yeah. Uh, well, go ahead. Oh, who's going? <laughs> uh, Anna. Anna. Thank you. So uh, there are a lot of thoughts that are coming into in my mind that are popping up as I hear a lot of things. One of the things that I hear is fear. And the fact is that we are creating that, we are leading everything from fear, uh, a fear-based space. And fear creates um, a whole lot of chaos. And it's important for them to create that in schools because there are a lot of the newer generations, if you look at millennials and Gen Zs, they're a lot more open-minded and exposed to information. So in order to take that away and get them to be able to kind of conform to what's convenient for the sort of the larger um, agenda, because we know this is political, you know, we know this is a systemic thing, then they have to do it this way right now because they, they might be feeling like they're losing grip on things. So that is a way to keep things like that. On the other hand, um, I was the principal of a, of a social justice school, and for me, but it's in New York, New York City, usually very open. Um, I've always been very much of an advocate. Okay, so they, you have this history that you have to teach, but how are the, the, the students being included in that? One of the things that I made sure that I did as a social justice school is how is my, my staff uh, representing more of my students? So I had black male teachers, I had Latino teachers, I had uh, all my counselors happened to be Latino. I had a couple of African-American uh, counselors that came in and, 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 and have changed only because they might've gone, usually people that left the school that went to do something like higher up. So they usually went into, into higher positions. So, but one of the things that we don't realize is that in certain communities, kids are being taught only by white teachers. In fact, the education system is what, 80% white? If I, if I recall, teaching white history. And now, so that is taking advantage of that piece. And of course, kids don't realize 
that this is not necessarily that the, their voices are not included. And then if it's a kid in a white community and it's a white kid and they're not being exposed, that's comfortable because one of the things I've heard with this critical race theory is, oh, we don't want our children to be uncomfortable. And I'm like, are you kidding me? Have you ever thought about how uncomfortable we have been all our lives? Now, the funny thing, I have to be very honest, it wasn't until last year that I realized what I look like to people. Because in my mind, I'm Latina. Once I open my mouth, there's no way you can not know that, right? I am very straightforward, always have been, always come across. So in my mind, I always saw and I see myself as a person of color 100%. But I realized when all these conversations about privilege, I started to think about what privilege have I had just because of what I look like, never realizing that. Realizing sometimes when I may go to communities of color where I may be looked upon a certain thing, then I'm married to a black man. And then it's also the kind of like, kind of looks if they don't know what I look like. So there's so many complexities with this race thing and all because we don't have conversations and realizing that we all have to be able to see the contributions of every, every community, every person, every society, right? I think about kids years ago when I started, I remember young people saying, Miss, this is Bushwick, what do you expect? And that to me was so infuriated. I'm like, what do I expect? I expect you to do great. I expect you to succeed. I expect you to do everything that you are meant to do on this. And they're like, okay, miss, okay, okay, okay. Right? And I they got a little nuts to that, but I was like, that's what I expect. Because there's no one that should tell you you can't. But when I think about well, the books, the education, all the things that they have had tell them that they're not enough, that they're not good enough, that they're not worthy of anything, that they don't matter. So part of my, my focus was, what are we making sure that we're teaching young people? And did we do 100% a great job? Absolutely not, because I'm sure we could always do more. But the fact is making sure that books that were inclusive, uh, con text, context, everything that was done, was done within the, 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 the being able to change students being involved in, in changing, in working with DACA or working with different social justice issues that they could contribute, uh, housing, all kinds of things. So when we talk about this, this race thing, it's, it's, there's so many levels of this that are incredible. Uh, just, just things that you see, uh, not too long ago, my husband was laughing and looking at me and not, not laughing like it's funny, but the, four white men who actually voted for their wives who were dead or whatever it is. And the most, one of them got was like three days in jail and he was a politician and the other ones just got like probation. And a black woman who voted, who had done some something, paid her time, was told that she could vote and then was being given six years in jail again for doing something that she thought she was able to do. All this is part of this critical race theory because until we change and have these conversations and we are able to really get to the heart and, and of the matter, then this continues to become the dividing force. And I think it's really important to realize that this is not just about these conversations or text, this is much bigger than that, much, much bigger than that. Sorry, I went too long. Thank you. <laughs> no, you did not go too long. <laughs> no. So, so seven states, seven states have banned the teaching of critical race theory. 
uh, Arkansas, Florida, Idaho, New Hampshire, Iowa, Oklahoma, Tennessee, 16 more states have it in front of their le state legislatures to pass bills that not only ban the teaching of, you know, the construct of racism that we've been talking about through our history as a perspective, but they're also, you know, encouraging um, the parents, of course, to have much more say in the curriculum. And my question to, to all of, of, of you folks as our panel is, is twofold, really. How, how should educators respond to this development? How should educators respond? And, um, and also, what does it look like for a new teacher coming in on this? You know, and I guess a third, let's talk about legal. Is this a First Amendment issue for teachers that they have a right to speak? And second, what about the 14th Amendment equal protection under the law? So, so I put out three things. How should educators respond? Anybody want to grab that first? How should ed educators respond to this? I think this is very difficult because you're you're talking about an institution, one of the institutions that are that's that's shrouded in racism is part of that system. So when you're talking about teachers and trying to um, almost kind of debunk that system, our system is is it's just one of the many systems that um, is inherently racist. So where are we going? Where it is that we're going to? try to implement this, implement a curriculum that is culturally responsive, which was what it is I was trying to get back to kind of address uh, Jacob's piece because part of the ignorance that is associated with that fear is that people are um, misconstruing um, critical race theory with cultural responsive learning. Critical race theory is just a, that's the mindset of thinking critically about some of the inequities that exist in our system. Whereas culturally responsive education has to do with educating our educating our youth and just educating ourselves overall about the fact that there are there are different um, groups that have contributed to the development of our uh, of our country that have been um, that have basically been just you know I'm sorry you know marginalized or silenced that it really hasn't been brought to the forefront um, and as a result of that we find ourselves in a situation mm -hmm. where we as educators are dependent upon our school district in of itself, you know, regardless of what it is that we would like to teach and regardless of how, what our stance is, um, what say do we really have in terms of what it is that we can actually put forward to the kids? We, you know, certain things we can do behind closed doors and we can go a little bit in depth in challenging students to critically think and think on their own and not just, you know, take one source, we, we teach, we teach students how to go through a, a bevy of sources, of primary sources. Um, so, I mean, as, as an educator and as a teacher, we challenge kids to um, be more of active learners. So, you know, for me, and, and I'm hoping that someone's gonna tell me something different here, I think that that is a huge challenge um, in regards to how teachers are going to attack that if they're not getting support from, um, if not the community, at least the school board, superintendent and school district in of itself. Talk about teacher support. Um, I, I mean, I just heard some of the states you mentioned, Cindy, and I know um, they're non-unionized, uh, like in uh, Flo um, Florida, they can form unions, like was one of them North Carolina or South Carolina, Texas? Well, the, the ones that have banned CRT are Arkansas, right. Florida, but there are a number of states, uh, Texas is in there that have bills that are moving forward. Yeah, 
So I think yeah. I think a lot of those a lot of those states that are probably pushing forward, I would probably uh, I'm going to assume that most of them are non-unionized or uh, very weak unions in those states. And I think you know, especially in supporting younger teachers, I think the union is is critical in that, in in protecting uh, the creativity in the classroom, and and you know what is the responsibility of the teacher to teach. And how it's taught, and um, you know, I you know, in those states where they're pushing th those uh, materials forward, the only thing that I think would protect the teachers there is stronger unions, um, and that's and that's I, I I can't see on their own how you can have a first year teacher who's told you know you're not allowed to teach this, and on their own there's there's nothing for them to do. They they have to you know they want to keep a job. That's what they have to do. Um, so part of the problem, in my opinion, is to strengthen teachers unions across the country. Um, and then, you know, you'll, you'll get um, more of the actual history that needs to be taught in the classroom. I think one of the scary things happening right now, Cindy, in, in essence of uh, the three things you put out there is um, there's this movement under the guise of parental choice and the fact is you have a group of parents saying that their choice on what their kids need to learn is more important than anyone else's choice in, in that community. They may not, they believe they're the majority, they claim to be a majority, and it's not in most communities. But under that guise and under that um, flowery protection, like parents should have a choice and an input and um, it's becoming something that sounds good you know, to the to the common public who's not listening um, as in as intently or as closely to the conversation. And so it puts teachers in a bad light because, well, this is what I want my child to learn and you're not respecting that or school district, I pay the taxes here, I control what should be happening here. And so in, in all of that, it does put teachers, like Perry mentioned, in a really tough position if they have no protections, if they don't have a way to say, I was just following the curriculum. You know, I, I, the, a student asked a question that was, you know, related to the curriculum and I had to answer it at that moment. But if they don't have any protections there and if the uh, community school, uh, you know, school board or any institution in the public system can't protect them, the way things happen now is somebody records that teacher saying something yeah. and then that's brought, you know, to a social media uh, outlet or a news station yeah. and all of a sudden you know that it becomes you know fodder for look 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 what my kids being forced to learn or being indoctrinated about and it's problematic right now well, they want they want to perpetuate their racism that they're teaching at home I mean they think that the that the purpose of public education is to is to educate the kids on what I want you to learn but that's not the the customer of public education is the public is society not the parents and and that's part of the problem too Cord. they hit it right on the head is that you know they want to, you know public school should teach what i'm teaching my kid at home no no because we'll go 10 10 steps backwards if we do that we need to teach the kids how to how, how to perpetuate the society that we really want to see right the, the society that put out the 13th fort you know it didn't end with the 13th 14th and 15th amendment it didn't end with the civil rights movement like we still have we we want that society we want that where truly everyone is equal and how we get there is public education, 
not what the parents want their kids to learn necessarily. Do you know that there's also, um, just read something interesting to throw that out there, Missouri and Indiana, and I'm looking down to make sure I get it right, are requiring teachers to make instructional materials uh, available to the parents so that the parents can opt out of particular units of study. I heard that, yep. So, so, you know, again, we say, how do educators respond? A new teacher, of course, um, scared to death, as for, of course, without union back, you know, having their back, um, you know, you teach what you're told to teach. But the, the, the fear is the creativity is lost. We know this. We know this as educators. And the teachers are stymied in their, uh, in their desire to teach things in a, in a holistic way, in a creative way. Um, so just just throwing that out. Can I, um, can I just underscore yeah. something? Yeah, about Greg. Curriculum? You know, an entire political party coalesced in the 1840s, the Know Nothing Party, and it was premised okay. on the idea that you couldn't be both Catholic and American. Right. The Chinese were excluded in the 1880s. Japanese were banned in 1907 and interned in the 1940s. In the mid-20s, an, an immigration bill effectively banned Italians, Greeks, Jews, Southern, Southeastern, and Eastern European Jews from coming into the country. Uh, women couldn't vote until 1920. Uh, our LGBTQ fellow citizens couldn't even think about coming out until the 1970s. And the reason I bring all this up is that 27 years into my career as a history teacher, no one has ever told me that teaching those things somehow creates guilt. Uh, in white students. We can't deracinate this conversation. We have to be able to talk about slavery, segregation, discrimination, voter suppression, incarceration. We have to be able to talk about those things the same way we talk about all those other things. No one has ever come through with bills uh, looking to ban teaching the Chinese Exclusion Act or the 1924 Reed Johnson Immigration Act this is irreducibly, I believe, uh, and fundamentally about race. So one race, yes, but as, as Dr. Batista Thomas also said, uh, we can't, like the intersectionality of the American experience is, is multiple, and yet the critical race theory is recent, and it's about teaching Tulsa, all of a sudden teaching Tulsa, or incarceration, or voting, or segregation or slavery, suddenly that stuff is, is forbidden in the classroom. So my answer to your original question, Cindy, is we have to be honest. We have to teach the truth. We have to teach about race the way we teach about all those other things. All those groups don't have it equally in America today. All those groups have it more equal now, more equal, not equal, but more equal now than they did at some point in the past. And in no case, in no case, did anyone's situation in this country get better through silence or silencing or censorship or suppression of texts and ideas. In all of those cases, the, the movement we've made forward toward the more perfect union envisioned in the preamble has been through dialogue and conversation, not through censorship and silencing. I think that's imperative what you just said, Greg, and to, to, to piggyback on that, you know, there's always been backlashes in history. We know that, mm -hmm. you know, and we have a, we have a, a history 
of discriminatory laws. You're absolutely right. And uh, so this is backlash to really, if you date it back, I don't know if you folks agree, but you can go back to, you know, FDR is a new deal. And this liberalism from then and the social welfare state, et cetera, we've had, and then, you know, we get into the sixties and there's this backlash and there was, you know, and we're living it. We're living through this backlash now to those liberal, you know, uh, uh, pieces of legislation from maybe going back to FDR. Um, so uh, what should educators do to respond to this development? So we said, just keep true as, as, as Greg is saying, keep true. Does anybody want to offer any other um, I, I, comments I, on that as to teachers' responses? Carol? Yeah, I definitely, oh, after Carol. No, go ahead, Cindy. Uh, so um, I do a lot of work with educators, uh, mainly in New York City, and understanding that New York City is a place in and of itself. Uh, but part of the work that I do on the Velocity Visions is this work around mm -hmm you know, folks centering who they are, right, as individuals, as they engage in a work as an educator, places and spaces. And part of it is to amplify, you know, how people move in the world as educators. So there's ways of getting creative around how you teach, right? And there's also ways of, of organizing, right? Like Greg talked about all these different policies, all of you know, we're where we are in many ways where there's been, you know, transcendent policies overturned because of the collective voices of folks, right? And people getting courageous, right? And, and people also using who they are and their privilege and their white-bodied selves in, in helping to amplify what's happening, right? Because that's part of the work is us getting uncomfortable and that's all of us getting uncomfortable, right? Like race, a part of the work that I do with diversity, equity, inclusion conversations is like, this is everybody's work. You know, my kids go to a private school where it's a predominantly white institution. And when we talk about all school multicultural committees, often folks think, oh, that's the people of color's work. And it's like, no, this is everybody's work. We all get to get our hands dirty. We all get to be uncomfortable around it, right? So, you know, and, and I guess the question, you know, I, I'm answering your question, Cindy, with another question. Right. Yeah. Like what what are we doing in our roles, in our spaces, in our places of privilege? Right. To amplify the voices of educators, to support educators, especially the new educators. You know, a lot of it, too, is thinking about, you know, a lot of these educator programs. That's a work that I've been doing also is supporting um, teacher education programs in terms of folks are coming into educating spaces harmed in so many ways by our educational systems and now they're gonna further you know putting that harm further on the young people right and and so you know part of 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 the work that we get to do and that's everybody on this call all the folks that are listening to this podcast is how are we using our places of influence and privilege to move this conversation along knowing that it has to come from folks getting their hands dirty organizing educating people because you're right when Jacob said people don't even know what CRT is CRT was one of the tenants that I used for my dissertation research and and I even had to explain it to one of my dissertation chairs <laughs> and this is a you know PhD or not a PhD it's like people don't understand what it is they're using it to lace it with all the other things that have happened and if we're not careful right we're, we're repeating things and so things continue 
to happen when we're not aware, but we have a tools now, right? Where people are using social media. I, I'm not really into TikTok, but my daughter sends me TikTok things about people talking about critical race theory, right? Think about the tools that we're using. How are we educating, you know, curating spaces like this? You know, it was Anna that reached out to me and said, hey, why don't you join this conversation? So I'm sacrificing an hour of my Sunday, right? to have this conversation, but to support people in amplifying voices. And, and people need to get to uh, get passionate around it, but also like there's so much richness and wealth in who we are as individuals that we don't get to learn about in school. None of this I learned while I was in school, right? I learned about it through creative spaces, uh, creating communities for myself, right? Uh, Black people's history does not start at slavery, right? I went to Ghana, mm -hmm. you know, in 2015 to learn that in 2015. At that time, I, I already had my master's in social work and, and got to learn about kingdoms and queendoms and, and, and still learning about my history in terms of Dominican Republic and, and its contribution to the world. And so as educators, you know, how could we support them? We could support them by those of us that curate spaces. Right, we can create spaces where we're offering support in ways that are accessible, right? Because it starts there and sort of when you feel strengthened in who you are as an individual, then you could move forward in these organizing spaces. Sometimes uh, people go quick to the organizing spaces, but if you're, you're already harmed and injured, you're gonna continue that if you're not, if, if we're not sort of supporting people around those kinds of things. And so, you know, that's something to consider is sort of how are we creating spaces and how are we supporting people and how are we using our various privileges and influences to do that? So I thank you. I just want to piggyback a little bit on, on what Cindy was saying. I think that, thank you, Cindy, by the way, it's, uh, it's very powerful what you're saying. Um, a couple of things actually keep coming to mind. So I'm trying to like sort them out in my head because they just too many things. Creating the spaces is very scary for people. But if we don't create those spaces and we don't sit down with that discomfort, we are never going to move anything forward. And one of the things that I find when we are able to expose young people to in, 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 with these conversations and they become empowered, they become a huge voice for the change. I'm going to say something that's going to sound controversial to some people because many of you are union, uh, union uh, representatives. One of the things that I ask the unions to do is to focus the energy on these issues, truly focus the energy on really pushing forward these issues. One of the things is a principle, and I say this, I literally in 13 years as an administrator, did not have any, any grievances. The last year there was one person who was a, uh, wanted to create issues for, for whatever reason and he never ended up in agreements because it was the issues that he was creating and everybody was like, I don't know why he's creating these issues. That's fine. But what I want to make you aware is a lot in a lot of schools, my colleagues would be bombarded by a lot, a lot of grievances. But a lot of grievances were over really small things where conversations could be had instead of spending the time on uh, some of those grievances. What I'm saying is 
focus on the energy because if the union, with all the amazing work, because I'm telling you, I appreciate the union, what it did for my teachers, for myself, when I was working uh, as a principal, as an administrator, I truly, truly appreciate all the work. But because that meaningful feeling protected is important. I feel that using that union, if that happens in school where that voice is strong, teachers are empowered to really have those really meaningful conversations, they feel protected, then they can empower teachers in other states to figure out how to unionize. A lot of people look at the union in a very, very negative uh, light. And it's because, unfortunately, when people bring a lot of issues, sometimes it's the teachers that don't want to do anything, which is a small minority, but that's what people tend to think about. And unfortunately, it, it disempowers that. But honestly, the union or that protection truly, truly matters. So I think that uh, when going back to to send this question before, how can the unions come, uh, teachers come together? I know a lot of you uh, districts are very proud of union free, union free. And as an administrator hearing all the stories, I was like, thank God I don't have those. I use, that's all I used to say, thank God I don't have those. But I understood because I heard their pain. I heard their stress. I heard the, you know that. But the fact is when, when the focus was around really protecting the rights and making sure that people were able to, to teach what they were able to teach and that they had a voice and the teachers were able to really get engaged, then I think that we would have a lot more teachers. Even those that are quickly going to the other side because of fear would come back and say, you know what? This is the right thing because people get into teaching for for a reason. They want to create a change. They want to educate young people. They want to be, be involved in that. But hey, I need a job. I need a salary. I need to be protected. I, right. So if that comes into play. Those are going to the Maslow's uh, uh, pyramid, right? That's at the bottom. My safety, my security is going to come first before those other those, those other things come in. So part of that is really being able to focus that energy. So again, I'm not in any way attacking units. I think that units are really strong and important, and I really do think it makes a difference in states like New York and places like that. But what we really have to do is make sure that the energy is focused on that, protecting teachers so that they can teach what really is important so that kids can think critically because someone says, well, we teach kids to think critically, but if we only given them this much information and they're thinking critically within the little box, then are they really thinking critically because they're not exposed. They need to still be exposed so that they can think at a wider range and they can really think critically. Otherwise it's a very, it's sort of like that critical box thinking, which is not really critical uh, thinking in, in my eyes. Right? So that's it. I'm just really concerned that um, because of because of where the conservatives, dare, do I dare say the conservatives have put out this brand, you know, our brand is crisis. Okay. That's what they're creating. They're creating this crisis throughout everything. And when you think about the number of states that have already signed on and how many more are, are you know, are looking to pass all this legislation, it's it's really terrifying to think about that you won't have a voice, that teachers will not have a voice because of, again, back to the fear that you all are talking about. And what scares me even more just listening to everybody is in, when parents get in, involved in the mix and they have now all of a sudden power to decide 
what gets taught and what doesn't, then they're also going to have the power to decide who teaches it and who doesn't. Okay. And that like just sitting here, that just like smacked me in the face. And I'm just like, oh my God, this is really scary for me to even think about this because that's what's coming next. Because how are they going to say, you know, if they're, if they're having a problem with CRT, are they going to have an issue if there's a person of color or anything teaching their children? I mean, how is that going to sit? How are they going to be able to do that? I, I don't know. I'm, I'm just. I agree with you, but I also, you also have to realize people still have certifications to have. There are certain things and they're running out of teachers. They're going to run out of teachers like they're running out of doctors very soon. So I, eventually things end up having to change when that happens. I'm not saying that they won't be critical, but I also think that, again, that goes well, Maybe that's part of the plan, this. Anna. Maybe that's part of the plan. Maybe that's part of the plan to, as you're saying, destruction of public of public education, right? It. Bring it down to the AI, Absolutely. back to Pearson and McGraw-Hill and pushing yep. the agenda, and then they'll tell us what the... There's a lot of money. There's a lot of money to be yep. made. Yeah, it's a money thing. If you take the unions out of the equation, mm -hmm. right, and you can privatize public education, because let's be honest, the only thing standing in the way, really, the major obstacle to privatization of public education, is the teachers' union. Yes. And if you can take, and if you can take that away, um, there's a lot of money to be made. So, so again, I've said this before, but you know, the big picture here is the privatization of public education and and that's it i mean it, it's it's very scary what's going on i'll i'll leave you with this i, I just want to leave this thought because it, it was so frightening to me the other day um you know obviously i have to follow social media as the union leader and i actually had a parent in my district who wrote that she wanted to unionize the children to fight the teachers union in my district. And that was, you know, that was what was put out there, but they love their teachers, but they, but they hate their teachers union. And for a parent to be so misguided that she feels that she has to unionize the students to fight the union um, just shows you where we're, you know, where this conversation is really headed. That's, that's where we're going. We are looking to remove the obstacle, not we, but the, the, <laughs> the, our enemies are looking to remove the only obstacle in the way from them reaping trillions of dollars in, in, in financial gain. And it's exactly what like CRT talks about, frankly, is like the weaponization, the use of race to weaponize interests against each other to perpetuate capitalism. That's essentially what a lot of it is. And so like right now we're seeing like a full core press on um, just like this, this knee jerk fear that if we talk about uncomfortable conversations, like just to like any, just as, as a white person, like you, like the, the, the it's it, your ignorance on these topics is a weapon against you. Mm -hmm. it, the, the, the powers that be will manipulate you to the ends of the earth just uh, and, and will nudge your biases and we're seeing it just even beyond race just in advertising for god they'll just collect your data on anything to nudge you to go to a different coffee shop you think they're not doing that on race and they haven't been for hundreds of years come on and so it's it, it, it's Don't get a, me started jake oh <laughs> man <laughs> And so it is just kicking the can down the road on ignorance. And so it's like, it's an uncomfortable conversation, but it's educational in teaching anyone of any ethnicity how power structure works and how they can better move, uh, navigate all these different 
basically gaslights of just um, these these different illusions of what divides us. That's it. It, it, they're they're perpetuating the divisiveness that's going on and they're doing it through education or the lack of education if we don't educate our children they'll they'll just believe whatever they're told and then you know there's a good guy and a bad guy and it, it doesn't matter whether it's color or you know religion or political party there's always a good guy and a bad guy you know, we have the luxury of being in New York and be able, I'm sorry, being able to have this conversation, but I don't think it's happening in Tennessee. And that's, that's the scary part. That's the scary part that a large part of this country wouldn't even dream of having this conversation. It's very frightening. Absolutely. I'm sorry. No, no, I was saying you absolutely true because what it is, is that the, they are afraid of allyship. They are afraid of this conversation and this screen that I'm looking at right here, where different people can come together and have a conversation and agree with something and understand that there's underlying factors and that because we can create allyship and their, their children can create allyship with people that are different, that privilege that allows them to exist in a space might disappear. And that's the underlying fear that why, why would I wanna be uncomfortable? I, I know that those people are uncomfortable, so I, I don't want to feel uncomfortable. And I think more and more uh, we are spreading that message overall where we need to kind of check our biases at the door and understand that they, they exist, they're implicit, and we need to do something about it. And it's that next step of we realize the problem exists, what are we going to do about it that we kind of have to focus on? And uh, I think until we get there, until we can even have that baseline of oh, it's okay that we form allyship. It's okay that we fix problems. There's something to do here. We're going to be in trouble because we're going to stay in the fight. You know, we're trying to fight CRT. We really just need to kind of figure out what to do to, to create more allyship. I think, I think many of these tactics um, are an attack on the country's pendulum of, prog of progress, if you want to say. Um, as we are moving forward, obviously, and we're making advancement, um, to all of the groups that have, you know, been disenfranchised or marginalized um, as we go forward, you know, obviously a pendulum is going to shift backwards. But the point is, is that it shouldn't shift back all the way to when it is that we were, you know, during slavery and all of those other pieces. It's only supposed to go back, but so far. I think what's, what's happening in these attacks are really geared to have that pendulum uh, shift back just as far behind um, that it was shifting forward and, and therefore creating even a new system of where it is that um, we look at that hierarchy of race that it is that we have in this country and, and where it is that people fall. Um, and, and taking advantage of the fact that um, there are allies in that social pyramid that it is that we have in this in the society based off of where it is that you fall. And so by um, enticing people to let them know that you know, this, you know, this movement is going to also impact your privilege is, is, is a weapon of theirs to be able to use just as much as us trying to get everybody to be part of the conversation um, and, to educate, and, and to educate people and not make decisions from a standpoint of ignorance, which obviously we all know um, fear is a tenant of that. You know, everything that it is that happens going forward, if you do it from a standpoint of fear, 
that's the reason why our our country, which is supposed to be America, the the you know the rainbow, the diverse, um, is prop is one of the really major only countries where it is that our um, that we do a census and there's 17 billion categories instead of just being American. Uh, yeah. Nikia, I was I was really taken by what you said earlier. Uh, you know, the whole phrase CRT has be become weaponized. It's weaponized. It's it's become one of those things people throw out and divides people. I loved when you talked about culturally responsible education. I keep thinking, can we take the term CRE? You know, and you use it. There needs to be some way to to put forward to people what it is we're really talking about that that gets rid of that distraction of that term CRT. And I'm I'm offering CRE based on what you said. Thank God, Carol. That's what I was literally about to ask. Because yeah, can can Cordelia and Nikia, please, can you guys talk about just how do you teach these concepts outside of like I, I without avoiding like the difficult conversations and I know it's like all right now we have to invent a new vocabulary to talk around these things but like things like intersectionality you can't say, say the word intersectionality or inclusivity right or whatever if, if those are just some if you can think of all right these are the trigger words that people are going to set people off how do we talk about some of these concepts still without setting off alarms well uh, some of the work that we're doing in my school right now um, where we are um, we've engaged in a subcommittee for diversity, equity, and inclusion. And we're taking um, an Adelphi course where it is that we're going to get certified with the, with the, um, with the intention of turnkeying that information in order to um, speak about how it is that, you know, an, an education that is diverse, that preaches equity, and that is inclusive is going to be of a benefit for, you know, our students, for all of our students. Um, because of the fact of the history that it is that they have learned, that we all have learned, that's what which has perpetuated stereotypes. Um, being be, not being afraid to have these conversations, um, where it is that you know, listen, if just because of the fact that you may feel bad about the fact that your ancestors may have you know may have had slaves, that doesn't mean that you have a slave. It doesn't that you have slaves. It doesn't mean that you agree with it. But you can't be afraid because that it was that these actions were um, a result of those who were, you know, your ancestors per se. Um, I, I and and whenever it is that I speak of racism, I always when I taught when I teach my students because I've taught you know all subjects, I always say to my students we have to remember the 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 impacts and the and the and the horrendous impacts of slavery. But slavery is not was not a um, uh, was not a institution that was developed by the United States. That is that was throughout ancient civilization, and not to mention, you know, even Africans participated in in this, in slavery in the slave trade. We sold, you know, you know, one another for for regardless. It had to do with you know, in an effort to have a relationship so that you weren't completely um, taken over by the explorers. But but notwithstanding. Having these conversations are extremely important, and 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 I, whenever it is that I am teaching my students, I do let them know that our country is not just founded off of the achievements of just one group. Um, that there are other groups that have been that have been responsible for the fact that we are where it is that we are now. Um, but again, because of the fact that there is not a diversity, 
uh, excuse me, the education profession is not diverse. How many conversations do you have, not just by individuals who are diverse, but like-minded individuals? Because you can be from a different race and still be of the mindset that teaching from a standpoint of inclusiveness and equitability is important. So that's one of the conversations that, you know, we are looking towards in our district to how it is that we can get like-minded individuals um, to have those uh, frank and open conversations. If, if Carol Anderson's book, White Rage, had been written five years later, the last chapter would be about critical race theory. You know, power structures defend themselves and power structures resist change. We all have to understand, and I know that we all do, because I know some of you well and others of you through this podcast, but we are in the midst of confronting on two fundamental levels some some legacy. One is racial and one is related to gender and sexuality. And we are in the midst of some very important national conversations about race, about gender, about gender identity, about sexuality. And I think it probably surprises nobody that those are the, that's the double-barreled shotgun of resistance right now is trying to criminalize the discussion of race and trying to criminalize the discussion of sex and gender, because these are long-standing institutions that are being rightly rethought and re-understood. And I think, I know this, it might sound like pablum, but it's our job to be brave. You know, it's, our, it's, it's the union's job to, to cover and advocate so that individual teachers can be brave. It's the union's job to diversify itself. It's the union's job to recognize that there was a time when the biggest unions in this country were culpable and some of the most egregious discrimination in the country. Uh, and it's our job now in the present to push back against the charter school agenda and to push back against the privatization agenda because these things seem dis disparate, but they're not, they're not. The same people arguing that you can't talk about race and you can't talk about gay people are the people saying that we need more charter schools. And this is a structural attempt to resist change. And we have to roll up our sleeves and right, turn into the wind um, and not take any crap. Sorry. Just to no, it's, it's, you're hitting on an important point because that's all it's about. I mean, I'll just talk from my personal experience. Is you know, I'm I've been you know uh, at SUNY Oswego and I still am. And they, you know, when COVID hit, I took a bunch of you know online courses. And what and what what what's an online course look like? All right, well, a teacher puts up some half baked slides from a couple years ago, and then they hand you a. a a website which is like basically like a virtual Pearson textbook that has a multiple choice component built into it essentially. Um, and then uh, you just hammer that out uh, at a schedule and then basically there's like little to no interaction and then maybe you write like one paper at the end of it. That's not an education like I didn't teach myself biopsychology with that I did my own teaching because that's what I had to do if I want to be able to do any graduate work later. And, you know, I, I, it, a lot of college is like, okay, it's time for you to teach yourself now, but to just actually just give, devoid people the resources and then to go the extra step to like, 
privatize all these uh, all these private companies are now just putting their agendas completely out out there and they dict there's no teacher intervention to like okay well this is our textbook and it has these certain flaws and stuff like that but it's good for this this and this there's none of that anymore it's just like you hammer that out memorize as best you can good luck that that's not an education and what are we doing where we're and then we have a generation of those people that are now being subjected to five six figure debt to do that it's 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 damaging and you know if if that's what our college education is looking like what's happening with our if if we let this into our high schools and lower and that's what those charter schools are trying to do because the, the you know wealthy people they think that oh we'll make our own charter schools it's not good for them either they're they're dupes too they're not, they're not going to get some kind of uh, more profound, uh, concentrated education. No, you're also going to get those garbage textbooks and you're gonna get babysitters for teachers. And they're going to cut costs at every single corner. And so the, 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 the unions are the only thing basically keeping teachers like to any sort of quality. I mean, it, and a lot of it is just like a cynicism. It's overriding cynicism that uh, teachers don't wanna teach because they actually value teaching. And if you think that you're gonna go down all these roads of reasoning to, we need to do charter schools, we need to just privatize it because what's the, what's the point? Anything that I want my kid to learn is in the household anyway. And so, yeah, no, it, it's, it is from that overriding cynicism. And so it, a lot of it is just believing in teachers. But what we have to what we have to understand is that because of AI and because of all these things that you're talking about, Jake, right? We have to think about how we, I mean, education has to change, right? It changed years ago because of the industrial revolution. And now we have a new, we have a tech revolution. Everything that is out there to learn is already available to students, right? They have all this knowledge, they can take it. It's available to them wherever they are. What we have to also teach now are the other things that are, that are important that we'd like to teach with, you know, through social emotional learning and through, you know, art and, you know, uh, music and all of the things and relating to one another, being able, we've lost that tremendously because of the advent of, of social media and you know the internet. And that's another danger, the internet, because of the information that it puts out. As you guys were saying, and even like we can see what's happening in Russia right now, what they're telling their citizens is really going on. They have no clue what is happening outside of that country because of what they're being told. And look how they, they have infiltrated our, you know, world, our country, and, you know, really messed with our elections. But they're also putting out a ton of information, not just the Russians, but, you know, everybody on, on the other side to, to put forth their, you know, their voice and what they want you to know, okay? And this is the danger, because having these kinds of talks that we're doing right now is, is amazing, and we have to continue that, and we have to make it stronger, and we have to make it grow. It has to be, and I keep saying this, a revolution. It really does. I mean, everybody has to be willing to stand up and fight for this, because we are at a very great disadvantage because of what the internet and social media can you know, propagate. I mean, it's just, it's going to be bad, folks. It's, it's I agree. You know, I, te I, I teach uh, astronomy and I've taught biology in the past and, and I've had students say to me, well, you know, we can just look this up on the internet. <laughs> and I tell them all the time, there's a lot of information on the internet, there's very little knowledge. And uh, my job is also teach you how to think about, you know, how right. to critically analyze, right, how to critically analyze the, 
information, right? Exactly. Truth or truth or not, that right. you're reading. And and you know, it's it's amazing when when they, when you know you tell the kids, and I'll just give you a quick biology example, real quick, that you know, I challenge them with this statement. There's no such thing as race. Race is a social construct, realistically speaking. We are all genetically almost exactly identical to each other. I mean, the the the, the minutiae differences, and I tell them, you know, uh, our DNA is a 26 volume encyclopedia, and the difference between me and you is every 40 pages, one letter is changed, you know, and it doesn't really change the meaning of anything. And and what do you think about that? And then to hear, you know, their thoughts on that, and that stuff's not in the textbook. I mean, they're not gonna they're not gonna read about that, but that's the that's our job as educators to challenge what they think and to take the information that we have to, you know, we have to teach them, you know, A bonds to T, G bonds to T, right? But that's not enough. That's not enough. And you got to take it that step further and make them really critically analyze what, what yeah. they're reading and, and what does this all mean? Mm-hmm. And, you know, when I, when I, when I, yeah, we're all cousins. Yeah, we're, we're actually probably even closer, more closely related than that. And if you look at the earth, I think someone said this before, because in my astronomy class, I show the kid a picture of the earth from Saturn and we have it from the Cassini space probe. We have pictures of the earth from Saturn. I say, look, this is everything we've ever known. All the races, all religions, all, 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 all uh, sexualities, all the wars, all everything. And this is it. This little dot, as Carl Sagan, you say, the pale blue dot. And when you think about it like that, you know, when you challenge the kids to think that way, I think it, I think it, for some of the kids that are actually paying attention, um, I think it has an impact on them. Well, we have to prioritize conversations like that, Perry, you know, and I think this, um, to us, very transparent push is to stop having conversations like that. They don't want you and I in our science classes to mention anything besides with the science textbooks. And then like you mentioned someone earlier, they want to opt out of the things in so, even in science that don't, that are not comfortable because not evolution is not comfortable for everyone to discuss, you know? So I think where we are right now in education is we have to definitely continue those conversations with, with each other and with students. But um, I think earlier when uh, Annie, you were mentioning, you know, I'm happy to say that now, and Greg, I think you mentioned now national and state and local unions are starting to prioritize social justice. It is a number one priority because we see where things are headed. And we know that the, one of the main issues uh, by, uh, fueling it, I guess I would say, is that there is still this issue with race in our country. I don't, I don't know how we're going to get rid of it outside of education. And I think the other side realizes that. <laughs> and if we continue to educate truthfully, students, these, this younger generation of students, Jacobs in college, but you know, high school, they're going to be like, wait a minute, what, are, what is this? This doesn't exist. Like Nakia said, this race thing, they created this to separate us. And if, they, if these kids come to that realization, we're going to look very different. We're going to start caring about each other in a different way. We're going to not understand this uh, oligarch system. Thank you for that word, Perry. And why there's poverty here. We're going to have a lot of kids questioning a lot. And they're already starting to when it comes to student loaning and all the other things. But if they start thinking about race in those terms, it's going to change everything. And some systems are going to fall and people 
are not ready for that. And that's where we are, but we have to keep having these conversations and conversations guiding students to think for themselves and not just follow the system. That's where the hope is. That's where the hope is. The hope is with, with the students. Because if you look at what just happened in Florida with their, their don't say gay bill and who are, who are the ones that came out against it were the students. The students immediately, as soon as it passed, the, like the students have come out. And time and time again, we've seen that what we, were, we would consider kids are the ones who are listening to these things and going out and taking to the streets and, and, and starting to protest it. And that's where our hope has to be. That's where our hope has to be. And especially in these states where they don't have the luxury of the conversation that we do, that, that these children will be empowered by, by their own life experiences to say, you know what, this is not what, this is not what I know is true. That's, that's what I hope. I think we've got a lot of people out there that are looking to schools for cognitive consonants. They want the schools to reflect who they are and what they believe. They think the mission of the school is to confirm to them who they are and what they understand and the power that they have. And every good teacher knows that real teaching comes not from cognitive consonance, it comes from cognitive dissonance. So there are a lot of people out there who have a set of beliefs about gender, about class, about race, and about, uh, about sexuality. And they expect the schools to confirm and perpetuate their assumptions. And this, of course, is the problem with the internet. And I don't want to sound like one of those cranky old men, but I'm a cranky old man. Um, the, <laughs> algorithm, the, the, the algorithms that the algorithms that supply social media responses, feeds, and search results are built to show people who they already are. They're not mm. designed to expand, but they're designed to contract people's understanding of the world. And our job is to engage, I think, in cognitive dissonance. I was really, I think that those lunatics that tried to criminalize discomfort in the classroom, they were actually on to what the problem is. And that is, they don't want to be discomforted. And so the stuff that Cordelia's talking about, that Perry's talking about, and everybody's here has been talking about the kinds of things we need to say in the classroom are all about discomfort it's what we're here for we're not here to avoid it i think we have to i think we have to be here for purposeful discomfort mm-hmm. and yes you're absolutely right anna i left out religion sorry yeah i think we were going to end up coming towards religion because when we were when we were getting to the point where um we were going to address the you know the don't say gay stuff um another agent or another institution and Cordelia said this as well as that, you know, when our kids there, they tend to be the revolutionaries. They, t- they tend to be the ones that like to debunk the norms and all the rest of those things. Um, but when we, when we understand that, and when everybody understands that the institutions that it is that we have in place are inherently um, racist as a system, um, not, as a, not as a group of people, um, race, racism is a system. No, it's not biological. 
And so when we, when we, as we continue to go through, you know, and have these conversations and we look at all of the different institutions that benefit from that, from that social construct, we have to think about how it is that we're going to educate people so that we don't, we don't make those construct or those institutions crumble. What it is that they, they need to be is they need to be rebuilt and they need to be rebuilt so that there is equity there. And I think that what they will find is that with equity, you will actually end up with a society that is more rich. Everybody will, everybody will be inclusive. Everybody will have a say and everyone will benefit. Um, the, the fear that you're going to be any less off than you were now, when you have a 400 plus year head start, I don't think that is going to happen overnight. Um, so I do think that what needs to happen is, is that whether you look at any of the institutions that it is that we have, the, the, the most powerful thing that it is that we can do is, you know, having the courage to educate and have these conversations. Um, because otherwise, yeah. again, that, pe that pendulum is going to fall back to a point where it is that things were even worse than what they were. Nakia, I want to thank you so much for those fabulous words. Um, we are going to continue this conversation on CRT. We hope very much that you will join us again. Uh, we need to have these brave conversations and we, we, we are brave people and we want to, that's what this is about, is having this talk so that we can further move into the place of how to deal. Um, and we want to continue this conversation. We thank everyone so much for being here today for these very important thoughts and uh, we hope that if anyone has anything they'd like to give us in terms of feedback, that we welcome conversation on our Instagram uh, account. Of course, we, we welcome it on Facebook and uh, at attentiveteaching.com where people can get in touch with us. Thank you so much again for everyone, to everyone for being here and uh, hope you'll join us again to continue this talk, this very important talk. Thank you. Thank you, everyone. Thank you. Oh, my God. Thank you. <laughs>evolution is not comfortable for everyone to discuss you know so i think where we are right now in education is we have to definitely continue those conversations with with each other and with students but um i think earlier when uh annie you were mentioning you know i'm happy to say that now and greg i think you mentioned now national and state and local unions are starting to prioritize social justice it is a number one priority because we see where things are headed and we know that the one of the main issues uh by uh fueling it i guess i would say is that there is still this issue with race in our country i don't i don't know how we're gonna get rid of it outside of education. And I think the other side realizes that. <laughs> and if we continue to educate truthfully, students, these, this younger generation of students, Jacobs in college, but you know, high school, they're gonna be like, wait a minute, what, are, what is this? This doesn't exist, like Nakia said, this race thing, they created this to separate us. And if, they, if these kids come to that realization, 
we're going to look very different. We're going to start caring about each other in a different way. We're going to not understand this uh, oligarch system. Thank you for that word, Perry. And why there's poverty here. We're going to have a lot of kids questioning a lot. And they're already starting to when it comes to student loaning and all the other things. But if they start thinking about race in those terms, it's going to change everything. And some systems are going to fall and people are not ready for that. And that's where we are. But we have to keep having these conversations and conversations guiding students to think for themselves and not just follow the system. That's where the hope is. That's where the hope is. The hope is with, with the students. Because if you look at what just happened in Florida with their, their don't say gay bill and who are, who are the ones that came out against it were the students. The students immediately, as soon as it passed, the, like the students have come out. And time and time again, we've seen that what we were we would consider kids are the ones who are listening to these things and going out and taking to the streets and 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 starting to protest it. And that's where our hope has to be. That's where our hope has to be. And especially in these states where they don't have the luxury of the conversation that we do, that that these children will be empowered. By, by their own life experiences to say, you know what, this is not what, this is not what I know is true. That's, that's what I hope. I think we've got a lot of people out there that are looking to schools for cognitive consonants. They want the schools to reflect who they are and what they believe. They think the mission of the school is to confirm to them who they are and what they understand and the power that they have. And every good teacher knows that real teaching comes not from cognitive consonance, it comes from cognitive dissonance. So there are a lot of people out there who have a set of beliefs about gender, about class, about race, and about, uh, about sexuality. And they expect the schools to confirm and perpetuate their assumptions. And this, of course, is the problem with the internet. And I don't want to sound like one of those cranky old men, but I'm a cranky old man. Um, the, <laughs> algorithm, the, 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 the algorithms that the algorithms that supply social media responses, feeds, and search results are built to show people who they already are. They're not mm. designed to expand, but they're designed to contract people's understanding of the world. And our job is to engage, I think in cognitive dissonance. I was really, I think that those lunatics that tried to criminalize discomfort in the classroom, they were actually on to what the problem is. And that is they don't want to be discomforted. And so the stuff that Cordelia's talking about, that Perry's talking about, and everybody's here has been talking about the kinds of things we need to say in the classroom are all about discomfort. It's what we're here for. We're not here to avoid it. I think we have to, I think we have to be here for purposeful discomfort. Mm -hmm. And yes, you're absolutely right, Anna. I left out religion. Sorry. Yeah, I think we were going to end up coming towards religion because when we were, when we were getting to the point where um, we were going to address the, you know, the don't say gay stuff, um, another agent or another institution 
And Cordelia said this as well as that, you know, when our kids, they tend to be the revolutionaries. They, they tend to be the ones that like to debunk the norms and all the rest of those things. Um, but when we, when we understand that, and when everybody understands that the institutions that it is that we have in place are inherently um, racist as a system, um, not, as a, not as a group of people, um, race, racism is a system. No, it's not biological. And so when we, when we, as we continue to go through, you know, and have these conversations and we look at all of the different institutions that benefit from that, from that social construct, we have to think about how it is that we're going to educate people so that we don't, we don't make those constructs or those institutions crumble. What it is that they, they need to be is they need to be rebuilt. And they need to be rebuilt so that there is equity there. And I think that what they will find is that with equity, you will actually end up with a society that is more rich. Everybody will, everybody will be inclusive. Everybody will have a say and everyone will benefit. Um, the, the fear that you're going to be any less off than you were now, when you have a 400 plus year head start, I don't think that is going to happen overnight. Um, so I do think that what needs to happen is, is that whether you look at any of the institutions that it is that we have, the, the, the most powerful thing that it is that we can do is, you know, having the courage to educate and have these conversations. Um, because otherwise, yeah. again, that, pe that pendulum is going to fall back to a point where it is that things were even worse than what they were. Nakia, I want to thank you so much for those fabulous words. Um, we are going to continue this conversation on CRT. We hope very much that you will join us again. Uh, we need to have these brave conversations and we, we, we are brave people and we want to, that's what this is about, is having this talk so that we can further move into the place of how to deal. Um, and we want to continue this conversation. We thank everyone so much for being here today for these very important thoughts and uh, we hope that if anyone has anything they'd like to give us in terms of feedback, that we welcome conversation on our Instagram uh, account. Of course, we, we welcome it on Facebook and uh, at attentiveteaching.com where people can get in touch with us. Thank you so much again for everyone, to everyone for being here and uh, hope you'll join us again to continue this talk, this very important talk. Thank you. Thank you, everyone. Thank you. Oh, my God. Thank you. <laughs>